I will read your scripture for today. Colossians is the third chapter, 1 through the 14th verse. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immortality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no, uh, here there is no uh, Gentiles or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I'm going to read that again. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Well, this morning we wrap up our sermon series, Eat This Book, by looking at one of my favorite passages of Scripture from the book of Colossians. As you know, we've been reading a chapter a day through Colossians for the past three weeks. Now, you might be thinking, Jonathan, there aren't that many chapters in Colossians. You're right. You're right. Um, I wanted you to read this book, not just once, but multiple times, so that the words would sink into your heart, so that you might, in reading um, this letter of encouragement from Paul to this church, uh, be challenged and encouraged in your own faith. I hope you've enjoyed reading and thinking and praying through this book. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And while you get there, I want to remind you again of a little bit of the background about this letter. It's written by Paul at the request of a man named Epaphras, um, who is the founder of, of a small church, a small Christian community in the city of Colossae. And as Stephanie told you last week, the city of Colossae had been through um, some, some tough times. Um, not only um, had they experienced prosperity in their past, uh, being a center for, for wool trade, uh, but they'd experienced tragedy. In just a few years before this letter was written, there was a major earthquake that decimated the city. Other cities in the area recovered, but Colossae didn't, didn't do so well. And so Paul, he writes this letter of encouragement that's meant to inspire the people of Colossae to continue in their faithfulness, to continue in their walk with God, to continue to grow and to learn and to serve and to love others in Jesus' name. 
So Paul is writing to this group of new Christians to cheer them on. Every now and again, we all need some, some cheering on, don't we? Every now and again, we all need a little bit of encouragement. And when I think back on, on my early life, it was the people who cheered me on that made the most impact. Later on, it was the people who disciplined me and held me accountable that, that helped me grow. But early on, I needed people who would cheer me on. I began to think about that, the times I've been cheered on in my life and the times that I've cheered others on, encouraged others in life. And, and I thought back to when I was Addie and Lily Grace's U6 soccer coach. Yeah, U6 soccer. That's the pinnacle of, of soccer in the U.S., right? Well, we were going to be winners, right? I remember the first coaches meeting. They have a coaches meeting before every rec uh, soccer season. And, and it's a group of like 25 to 40-year-old dads who show up in those meetings, right? And we, we all have memories of our past, of the glory that we once lived in as middle school and high school soccer players. And we're all sitting there sort of sizing each other up in the room. And uh, the director of the program looks and says, you know, the most important thing you can do this soccer season for these U6 athletes is help them learn to love the game. And I thought to myself, nobody's got time for that. We came here to win, right? Like at the end of this season, we're looking to get promoted from U6 to U8, right? Pretty soon, we'll be playing the 13-year-olds. Our little group of U6 players, we're going to be that good. Winning is the most important thing. Well, here's the deal, friends, with U6 soccer. The athletes who step out onto the field aren't exactly seasoned veterans, we had players who were more adept at counting clouds and chasing butterflies than chasing a ball. They weren't ready for total soccer or total football if you're following along with uh, Ted Lasso. Six weeks, we focused on two things. The first thing, dribbling one direction, and that direction is away from our goal, toward the other team's goal. And the second one, having fun. Having fun. Because we weren't going to take on Arsenal later on in the season. And in U6 soccer, you don't keep score. So we definitely were going to be undefeated no matter what. <laughs> and the strange thing is that throughout that season, when there was really no pressure to win or to score, when all the pressure and strain is lifted off, you really do have a chance to fall in love with the game. As a coach, you, you start to cheer the kids on for how well they keep the ball at their feet. Good, great job. You know, you, you only kick that ball three feet ahead of yourself. That's perfect. You clap and you shout when one of them breaks free from the pack of kids that are all on top of the ball, right? When you take the pressure off, you get to enjoy the game. You get a chance to fall in love with the game. You get a chance to grow in it. And I think that's part of what Paul is trying to get across to the church at Colossae and is trying to get across to us in this letter of encouragement that faith in Jesus Christ isn't about winning. It's not about big buildings and budgets and big crowds. It's not about signs and miracles and breakthrough. It's not even about you or me. Paul takes all the pressure off 
And he reminds us that faith in Jesus Christ is about falling in love with the process. Falling in love with the relationship. Growing in faith, hope, and love. And then knowing and growing in our relationship with Jesus. Having our lives transformed in him. Friends, there's no pressure here. You don't have to perform in this place. We should be a church, I think, that cheers people on when they get the first step right. And maybe they mess up the next three. But when they get the next one right after that, we stand up and cheer again. Because our hope, friends, isn't built on our performance. Our hope is built in Christ. And our lives are to be conformed to him. And that's not something that we can do in our own power. Instead, we have to allow Christ to bring that transformation about in us. So take a look with me at Colossians 3.1. It says there these words, Paul writes. Since then, he writes to this small, fledgling church in Colossae, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So Paul begins here by saying, since you are in Christ, since you are rooted and raised up in Christ, as Stephanie said last week, since you have experienced salvation and new life in Jesus Christ, keep pressing on toward him. Keep pressing on into him. And the way that we do that, according to Paul, is by setting our hearts and setting our minds on things above. Now, you can get real philosophical with that. And you think that setting our hearts and minds on things above might be simply contemplating beauty or thinking well of others. But Paul is actually talking about Here in Colossians, what he's talking about is developing a life that is centered on and rooted in an ongoing relationship with God, a relationship that so permeates our lives that every thought, every action, every moment is filtered through the love and grace of God. Because when we do that, when we set our hearts and minds on Christ, we are transformed. And that sounds hard, but it's really not. Setting our hearts and minds on things above is is really pretty easy. We just have to develop a habit of doing it. A few simple habits will bring transformation to our hearts and life. And the first simple habit is this, spending time with God. Every one of us needs a, a time that we can pull away and pray during our day to have a devotion But I think what Paul advocates for when he says setting our hearts and minds on things above is is not just having that one uh, prayer closet time during a day, that one devotional time during a day, but retreating into prayer throughout your day. That doesn't mean that you have to get up and leave what you're doing or or walk away from the conversation that you're in or, or leave your desk to go somewhere else. It simply means that throughout your day, when you feel the Spirit of God moving in your heart or you feel conviction, that you take a moment to pause and invite Christ to speak into that moment. To pause and to listen for the wisdom and the voice of God to give you instruction and direction to bring conviction and repentance. 
The first simple habit that allows us to set our hearts and minds on things above is spending time with God. We have to be in a relationship with God. That means we have to spend time with Him. The second simple habit is spending time in God's Word, reading the Bible, eating the book as we've talked about throughout this series, making space in your life, not just to read the Bible, but to encounter God's Word in a way that it reframes your living, consuming the Word of God so that it consumes you. Friends, if you get into the Word, you will find that reading the Word will transform your thinking. It'll transform your ethics. It'll transform the way you treat the people around you, the way you handle money, and even your perspective on the world. That's what Paul is getting at when he asks us to set our hearts and minds on things above, to reframe everything through the lens of Jesus Christ so that we can become the people that God has called us to be. But I think there's one other habit that we have to pay attention to if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, if we're going to keep our hearts and minds set on things above, and that is being intentionally in fellowship with other believers. We've got to spend time in fellowship with the community of faith because, friends, the Christian life isn't meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived out in community with others. It's meant to be a shared journey with other disciples who are on the way with us. The Christian life, I believe, cannot be lived in isolation. Rare is it that you hear of hermits, of monks, who leave to go to the desert to spend time with God, who aren't connected to a community that they visit regularly. Even those who are called to isolation are still called to be connected in fellowship with other believers. The writer of Hebrews encourages his readers to remain in community. He says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, we need each other in order to grow and to mature into the people that God has created us to be. We need to be spurred on. We need to be encouraged, and we need to find ways to encourage others. The Christian faith requires a community, a community to keep us growing, to keep us grounded, and to push us forward. Prayer, study, and fellowship root us in hope so that we can do what Paul commands us to do next. You see, in those first four verses, Paul was setting us up for the big ask, right? Like he was was preparing us for what he's gonna ask us to do in verse five. He says this, since you're in Christ, since you've experienced salvation, since you've experienced new life in Jesus, verse five, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life that you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, Paul says. Set your hearts on things above. 
Paul is saying that if we have the hope that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and if we have our hearts and minds set on things above, that we have the power in Christ to live new and redeem lives, to let go of our past, uh, let go of our past of the sin and the habits and the hurts that have bound us for so long. We can take off our old ways of living and put on new ways of living because as children of God, we've been given new life in Jesus Christ. Paul's writing to this group of believers and he's telling them about sanctification. Not just being saved and having a a moment where you go from being damned to being in eternity with Christ, but being made perfect in love is what Paul's talking about. By the power of God at work in our lives. Paul is saying that The Christian faith is about more than just a one-time commitment, but a daily commitment to growing and loving and learning and being transformed by the power of God within us. And so Paul goes on saying, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, that's you and that's me, that's the church at Colossae, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul says, take off your old ways of living so that you can take up new ways of living in Christ. Live lives clothed with virtue, humility, and love. And friends, the only way to do that is to set our hearts and minds on things above. To fall in love with the process. With living sanctified life in Christ and through Christ. That calls for us to celebrate celebrate the small things to celebrate moments where we experience growth through prayer, to celebrate the moments when we get a new revelation from God by opening up God's word and and hearing it again for the first time. It means that we celebrate small moments of fellowship and enjoy one another's presence as we encourage one another and spur one another on in love and in service. I think all too often, We complicate faith. When Paul, and more importantly than Paul, Jesus, is only asking us to do a few simple things so that we can experience life transformation in him. To commit ourselves to Christ. To spend time in prayer. Time in study. Time in fellowship and service so that we can live lives that are redeemed and restored by the power of God. Friends, it's time that we take Paul's instruction here, that we take off our old self, 
and our old ways of living and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You can do that today, friends. You don't have to wait. Today, you can set your hearts and minds on things above, put to death your old ways of living, and live new life in Christ. And tomorrow, you can do it again. And the day after that, you can do it again. And the day after that, you can do it again, because we're not in love, friends, with winning. Now, as disciples of Jesus, we're learning to fall in love with the walk, with the one who leads us, with the one who guides us, with the one who gives us hope that does not disappoint us. So may you today, friends, set your hearts and minds on things above, that your life might be renewed in him. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you that faith in you, while challenging, is not a complicated task. That faith begins with a simple commitment to know you, Jesus, as our Savior, but that continues through a relationship with God, through time spent in study and prayer and in fellowship. We pray today, God, that we would have the courage to put to death our old ways of living and being, that we'd put to death the anger and malice and hurt that we've lived in for so long, and that we'd take up new life in you that's marked by compassion, kindness, gentleness, but above all else, love. Love for you and love for our neighbor. Love for you, God, and love for our enemies. Love for you, God, and love that transforms us from the inside out. Help us, Jesus, today to become the people you've called us to be. Help us to set our hearts and minds on things above. This we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.